Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 128. We are right here nearing the very end of Artifice season five. And I've got season six almost fully recorded for you guys. By the time you're hearing this, I think I have two more episodes to record for season six. (gasps) I'm so excited. And the other very exciting thing is that track number six from The Hallowed Wide is out this week. It's called Split. It's one of my favorite songs from the record. It's fully epic. There's a gospel choir. It's legit. It's so cool. I cannot wait for you to hear it. And also like, it's got a great kind of, uh, you know, deeper meaning as well. You can count on me for that. It's always what I'm trying to do. Anyway, so make sure you're like following on the socials and that you're listening to Split, streaming in a bunch, putting it on your playlists, telling your friends if you like it and listen, I think you will. So, um, pay attention to that split is coming in just a couple days. Um, gosh, I was listening back to this interview with, uh, my guest for today, which is Paul Cartwright. It's such a good conversation. Um, you know, I'm a broken record about this, but it's really important to me to interview people from all kinds of different, um, persuasions. And, you know, Paul and I, I think are on, um, you know, at, at very least, uh, different uh, points of view in terms of religion, but agreed on so many things. And, you know, I don't know, it feels powerful to me to um, have frank and open conversations about uh, where we land on these things and what they mean to us and how we feel. And, you know, I consider it to be, I say this all the time, but like an abundance practice to have these kinds of frank conversations. And I I really appreciated Paul answering all of my questions really honestly. And I mean, his story is just incredible. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So uh, let me tell you a little bit more about Paul. Paul is a professional actor with more than 20 years of experience on stage, screen, and behind a microphone. He studied at the Royal Conservatoire in England to get his MFA in acting, working with some of the best voice coaches of the Royal Shakespeare Company before moving to Los Angeles, where he's worked with Disney, Nintendo, Toyota, Visa, Pepsi, Lay's, Fortnite, and more. Paul is currently in Lehigh, Utah, with his wife and four children and is a full-time actor and performer. Um, and if it wasn't clear, he mostly nowadays does voiceover work. Um, and again, like this story is just a phenomenal story. Um, there's a lot of faith in this story and kind of surrender maybe. And it's just, I don't know, it's awesome. So, um, yeah, please enjoy my interview with my new friend, Paul Cartwright. Here it comes. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists, and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Okay, so I will ask this again. We had like a nice little banter going that the listeners will not have heard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wherein, you know, I described a serendipitous um, occasion about how I found your name. Doesn't matter. Um, But I would love to hear you talk about your childhood and how you started uh, discovering and developing your creativity. Yeah, 
my, my childhood was interesting because um, we, we learned kind of early on that um, my family being we, that I had this kind of knack for uh, mimicry cool. and impressionism. Yeah. And so, you know, we'd go see a movie and, and after the movie, I'd be quoting lines and doing it in the voice of the character. And my mom would be like, how did, how did you remember that? Yeah. Like you saw the movie once, like, how are you quoting lines? And I was yeah. like, I don't know. I just heard it and liked it. And so, um, what was interesting is that as I was, you know, kind of growing into that, I'd always loved animation and cartoons yeah. and had always, you know, loved watching, but I'd never really thought about doing that, yeah, yeah. about voicing them. I just thought this is really cool and this is fun. And it wasn't up until, uh, high school when I actually started, kind of delving into yeah. organized arts. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, let's talk more about disorganized arts because I, <laughs> I love it. Like I find creativity to be such an interesting, like unknown, like it's such a mystery. Um, and I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested in like creativity as it pertains to like just development, like nature versus nurture. So it sounds like you came with like something. I, I feel like I have a little bit of that, like just the aural memory is like specific. Um, yeah. I, I relate to that as a singer. It's probably not shocking. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, so when, how, how old were you when that started happening? When you started kind of just when it was apparent to your family. Yeah. My mom was saying I was probably five. Cool. I was four or five when I was starting to show signs of, Oh, you know, you have this artistic side of you, this creative side of you that, you know, the, the, the other family members didn't yeah. really show similar signs at that age. Well, that's my next question of like, where are you in the birth order? Like how many older siblings? Yeah. So I'm four of six. Okay. And, uh, yeah, for, I mean, the other kids were, uh, we're very, in, I mean, our family is very intelligent in terms of, you know, they're logical and, and, and they like to pursue that realm. There was something about my mom was saying with me where my logic was more turned to creativity yeah. and building things and creating things, you know, out of nothing. And how is that like received by the family? I mean, it was, yeah, it was fine. I mean, my, my dad was a, a big sports guy and so the other brothers did a lot of sports. Yeah. And so when I started getting into the creative arts, um, he enjoyed having that other avenue. Yeah. And I think the whole family enjoyed, you know, coming to shows I did or performances I did. And I would, you know, they'd always tell me to do that voice or, you know, Hey, do that funny character or, yeah. you know, whatever else. Like they, they really embraced it. It's one thing I love talking about with my guests. You know, some of my guests come from like art families and like, you know, it was just like, well, of course our children will be creative. And I, I'm more like you where I think I popped up in a family that they were like, what is this? <laughs> um, but it's, it, it, how, do you remember like having any like early, you know, maybe, maybe before you're like 10 or 12 um, feelings about, you know, ways that you kind of felt different? Like how, how did you feel about it? Yeah, one thing that was interesting is my my family decided when they were younger that they they wanted to all participate in a stage production of uh, a Christmas Carol. Oh, cool! Up at the old Rogers Memorial Theater back in the Pages Lane days, up in Centerville before it became Centerpoint. Okay. And I I refused. I was probably eight or nine, and I was just like, "This is ridiculous! Like, why would I stand in front of people and sing and act? And like, this is ridiculous. This is silly." <laughs> so my entire yeah. family 
participated in this thing and I refused. And so I'd go <gasps> with them to the theater. Really? But I would just sit yeah. backstage because I'm like, this is dumb. Like, why? Would why? I do this? Like, what, do, what was going on? I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm an incredibly independent person. Sure. I get that. And so yeah. the idea of we're all going to do this, whether we like it or not, for me was like the telltale sign of, no, yeah. I'm not touching this. Okay. I get it. So you, you felt like you wanted to kind of individuate and differentiate. And then like, how did you feel? So certainly you didn't feel like bad about that. Did you feel curious about it? Did you feel like this is a cool thing about me that like, I'm kind of different or like, do you remember kind of how it was affecting your like identity? No, what was interesting is I, I honestly just thought I don't want to do this, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And end. it was as simple as that. And the I just, end. And I just didn't do it. And then, you know, now yeah. <laughs> none of my family does anything, you know, performance wise. And that's yeah. all I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Um, what about like just play or like what kind of media were you taking in? Like what else was kind of going on in your creative world? Yeah, I was, I was always creating something. I had, I have a younger brother and sister who are twins um, and they were kind of my guinea pigs for my creative world. Yeah. You know, uh, I remember specifically when Hook came out in theaters and I went, my dad, you know, took us to go see it. And my goodness, I was in that world yeah. for a long, long time, just running around all day playing and, you know, having wrangling my brother and sister into it and saying, yeah. you know, you're, you're doing this with me and, and just creating, you know, fantasy worlds that my mom would just be like, Hey, He's not hurting himself, so yeah, go I was, for it. I was just talking about this with another another guest of like exploratory play and kind of like this make believe play and how big you know, how big a part of I think that is of a lot of our childhoods, those of us who kind of, you know, stake a claim in creativity as adults. Um and also it's funny that you're bringing up Hook. I was literally just talking about this with my husband like a few days ago. And you'll know, like I know you'll know, but that scene where they're the mermaids, I was trying to describe to my husband like the pitches of like the bubbles that come out of that green mermaid's <laughs> mouth. I was just telling him like it's just like it's like this visual or like this visual and like auditory memory that is so like visceral and I like pulled it up and I was like I like sang the the bubble pitches and then I was like look but I I yeah. feel like that's the, that's an up your alley kind of a Oh yeah 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 I <laughs> I'm mean, sure you know like exactly what I'm talking about Hook was such a big part of my childhood <laughs> It's a it's a fantastic movie and there's so many different like shades of fantasy in that movie Yeah it's awesome um, okay. So, um, as you got a little bit older, like, did you do, so I hear you saying you didn't do any like organized performance, but were you taking like piano lessons? Like, were you drawing, writing little poems? I've always been a horrible artist in, in terms of drawing. I just, I can't, I can't connect what's in my brain to my hand. So I, I did, I gave up on that pretty quickly. Um, my mom tried to get me into piano and it's probably one of the bigger regrets I have yeah. that I that I bailed too early because man, I wish, I wish I still, I wish I was able to play. A lot of people say that. Yeah. yeah. Big <laughs> regret. Yeah. Um, but, uh, honestly the, the, the creative things that were happening were all internal, um, because of my independence, yeah. if I was ever in a situation that I just didn't want to be in because I was bored or yeah. disinterested, I just went to creative land. I do that still. Yeah. I'm sure you do too. Yeah. <laughs> and just decided, all right, well, I'm just going to do whatever in my head and pass the time. Yeah. And that went all the way up until junior high, high school. Do you want to say anything more about like, I, I, 
for anyone who listens to the podcast, they'll know like this is a pet topic of mine. Like I love talking about the internal parts of creativity. Like I was just saying this with the um, guy that I interviewed on Monday. It's like, it's like, it's an iceberg. Like the, the creativity you see is like that top little bit. And then there's like all this other stuff. Do you want to say anything about like kind of the inner creative world? Yeah. I think a lot of, um, I mean, I have, I have ideas that have been floating around in my head for decades yeah. that I'm just now either getting onto a screenplay or getting out orally into a character that yeah. I've, that I've put together. Or, I mean, the creative process is incredibly unique to each individual, but at the same time, it's similar to a lot of other people in the sense that if you aren't consistently practicing your creativity, you're going to lose things. I was just talking about this with my husband also that in that same conversation where we were talking about hook, (laughs) um, as a teacher, you teach, right? Uh Yeah. As a teacher, I think about this with my students a whole lot. You know, it's interesting how much vulnerability and kind of bravery it takes even to just like go there in your own mind it doesn't occur to me cause that's, it's intuitive for me. Um, but as a teacher, do you, do you talk with your students or do you have any, like, do you have thoughts about how someone can start to cultivate that kind of inner, you know, dreaminess? Is that something you like you think about with your, with your students or. Yeah. I talk to my students about, uh, I mean, my students are all vocal animation students or, uh, actors. Okay. And so my first, uh, uh, exploratory exercise with them is one of finding their voice. Yeah. Meaning, you know, if you're, if you're a voice actor, you need to go into your booth and you need to spend time in there playing with the highs and the lows and the gravel and the nasal and the, and, and play and figure out, you know, what are your limits? And once you find your limits, you then know what is either too far or where you can then keep going. And it's only in the exploratory that you're going to find that you can't just walk in the booth one day and go, great. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and do this character and know exactly what limits are. If you haven't found those limits. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, it it is sometimes surprising to me. Like I'll have a student or, you know, just a person, like it doesn't have to be a student, a friend, you know, an acquaintance, um, sit in front of me and say like, Oh, I'd really like to be able to do this. And how should I start? And I'll say like, play, you know, like goof around, like think about it. Like, you know, or sometimes I'm talking with people about more just vague creativity things. And I'll say like, just, just scroll Pinterest and like, just think about stuff. And it's shocking how difficult that, that seems to be for some people. It's like, there's a, there's a vulnerability there. Yeah. It's really interesting because my, my, um, avenue into my full-time profession came from me just goofing around and playing and recording it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, when you were young and kind of developing this, like, you know, rich inner world, did you, did you feel also creative about like, and what I'm wondering is whether you were building perspective, like, do you, did you feel like you were looking at scenes and other people and situations and, thinking creatively about, you know, what the subtext could be? 
I assume you do that now, but oh yeah, yeah. no, it, uh, it, I didn't. I didn't understand what that was early on. Yeah. I was doing it, of course, but yeah. not recognizing exactly yeah. what it was. I mean, I was playing out scenes in my head and playing out. You know, what if I was? What if it was me? And how would I do that scene? And oh, you know, yeah. I mean, just walking down the street, you know, and just seeing things and being like, so what would happen if this happened? And I was this actor, or if I was doing this, and all of these just crazy, crazy things that you just think up and go, oh, that'd be interesting. Oh. Huh. Yeah. That's like a self-soothe for me. Like I do that. Like I, I noticed, I didn't kind of realize that I was doing this until like maybe around the time that I got married, but I think it was like, like when I was falling asleep, it would be like, just, it, I would just like lull myself to sleep, like imagining myself in like whatever scenarios I had seen or like imagine, you know, playing it out differently, like talking to this person in a different way or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, yeah. that, that, that playful, um, exploration is huge. It's so much of it. Yeah. I think a lot of people would be surprised to know how much of it that is. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then now like my, you know, my medium has shifted and I'm, I'm, um, I'm using my voice, but I'm also, I'm a songwriter. So, you know, it's a lot of the same thing. Like I, I'm just, you know, very kind of like unfocused, like just thinking about things and noticing things. And then, you know, slowly that like nebulous, you know, color of something kind of, but I, yeah, I think a lot of people would be surprised to find how, how much pre action there is. Oh yeah. It's, it's an invaluable part of the process and fun. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And it like, it takes nothing from you. Absolutely. It's just like it's, it's, it's a no brainer to me in a way that it always surprises and puzzles me the way that it is like is not a no brainer to some other people. I wish it would be though. I think, I hope these kinds of conversations like, you know, are uh, illuminating. Yeah. It's like why the podcast is called artifice. Cause like, you know, we have all of these things that we are doing that are, you know, not on purpose, but are hidden just for the simple fact that they're like in our brain, you know? Yeah. It's, and it's interesting to think about, um, you know, a lot of times when people talk about childlike behavior or when people lose the inner child, I think a lot of that comes when people stop, playing totally and imagining I couldn't agree more yeah my, my family my family culture um I'm I'm like estranged from most of my family at this point which should give you some information about the family culture but my, my family culture is really intense and very like we are professional we are serious people and I still sometimes will get like a like a little voice in my head that, or, or rather when I'm, when I'm creating things, I sort of imagine this like, you know, family audience and how they would react to it. And it's something I'm working on a lot now, like trying to d delete that. Cause it's not like, it's not the right, um, nurturing, you yeah. know, other <laughs> to picture for like the kind of play and, and creativity. And yeah, I mean, if, if someone perceives like, an action or a thought as like too childlike, um, like great. It's on purpose, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it needs to be accepted. Uh, totally. It's so important. It's really important. And like, yeah, these are conscientious choices that I think a lot of us are making. So how did you start getting into like some performance or like what happened in your teens? Yeah. I, the first real organized artistic experience I had, um, 
I, I had always, my mom was the one who was like, yeah, you know, you obviously have some artistic ability and I think you would benefit from training or from, you know, bringing that out. And so there was, um, a little performing group that my mom's good friend from high school had organized called the singing connection where basically anywhere from, you know, eight to 12 kids got together and there were songs and choreography and, you know, it was just kind of a singing group. Little show choir. Yeah. yeah. A little show choir type deal. Cool. And so my mom was like, you should try this. And I was like, eh, I'm not really interested. And she's like, no, you should do it. Good so for she, your mom. I know. So she signed <laughs> me up for this thing and it was hilarious when I think back because all the other kids were singing and dancing just fine. And when they wanted to give me a solo, I said, the only way I'm going to do that is if you play the track and I just lip sync. I'm like, I'm not going to learn a song. I'm not yeah. going to memorize it. I'm not going to sing it. how old were you again? I was 14. Why? Why? <laughs> why, like, why were you? Yeah, I was just resistant. I was yeah. just like, uh, this, I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to sing. I don't want to dance. Were you scared? I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure a lot of it was just fear. And, and a lot of it too was... I, I didn't feel comfortable doing that because I didn't want to do it unless I was great. Right. Okay. I love this. Talk to me more. This is like, I, I, I've been thinking a ton lately about perfectionism because that's what that is. Right. But I find that there's like two kinds of perfectionism. There's the kind of perfectionism where someone will fail and fail and fail until they meet their standard. And then there's the kind of perfection where someone like won't even begin unless they can meet their standard. Yeah. And I mean, clearly you're not doing that anymore. Yeah. So how, what, like how can you describe like what that mindset was like and maybe how you kind of yeah it, start well, to mitigate it? Yeah. it It's something that honestly caused a, a lot of contention not just with me, but in my family mm. for many years because I was just resistant. It's hard. You know? yeah. And my family would always be like, Paul, why are you not doing these funny voices when we ask? Like, why are you not do like, yeah. this is entertainment and we love hearing it and you're providing a service. And I was just so resistant and yeah. so stubborn. And I just, I wanted it to be on my time and I wanted it to, I wanted to do it my way. And it it was so, um, I don't want to say damaging, yeah. but I want to say that I, I missed out on a lot of opportunities to grow early on. Right. Especially it's so safe to grow when you're a kid because oh, you're yeah. like, you're supposed to suck at everything. You yeah. Know? But when you're 14, <laughs> yeah. 15 around girls, you know, there's sure. cute girls in this performing group sure. and I don't want to make a fool of myself right. in front of these girls and I don't want to look like an idiot and yeah. You what know, would you man. tell your like young self now? Like what, what, what's the pep talk that you would give? Cause I mean, you're, you're not wrong. I tell this to my students too, especially the teenagers, like there are risks, <laughs> like yeah. there are social risks. I think we're fine. I just want to be able to see it. Um, yeah, there, there are social risks to, you know, trying and failing in front of your teenage peers. Yeah. And certainly nowadays, you know, with social media, like it's a mean internet. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there are risks. So what, what would you tell like a, your young self now to, you know, maybe, um, convince him that those risks are worth it or how, what, how to handle it? Yeah. I would say the only opinion that matters is yours. Hell Yeah. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I mean, I think about all the things that I didn't do because I was scared of how other people thought. And then now look back and see 
how I don't even associate with these people anymore and right. couldn't care less what they think. Right, right, right. And it's like, well, why did I, why did I waste that time? And, and the reality is, is this is a discussion people have been having forever. Like when you're, when you're a teenager, no matter how many times people tell you, no matter who tells you, yeah. you just don't understand that it doesn't matter. Like yeah. who cares what other people think? Let them think whatever they want. Like sure. it's not your job to inform their opinion of you. Right. 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 Yeah. And there may be, there may be consequences that do affect you, but ultimately like one of, one of the things that I sometimes think is like so much of it has to do with this narrative. Like, I think I was even just kind of thinking about this with like my family and like picturing like, well, how would, you know, this aunt or this uncle, like if they saw this, like, what are they going to think? Um, and I think like so much of it for me is, is reminding myself of, of what the narrative is, which, you know, it might be, you know, telling your roommates if you're going to be practicing something weird, like, hey, y'all, I'm going to be practicing something weird, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's not even that, like, I think it needs to sound good, but I'm experimenting and it like it is going to sound bad. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, son is even just kind of being in control of like, yeah, hey, I've never danced before. So uh, this is it's going to be bad and fine, you know, like hell yeah to me for being brave enough to try it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like even kind of empowering young people with those kinds of just, it, yeah, it's not even like, well, cause it, you know, if you say the only opinion that matters is your own, maybe your opinion is like, this is bad, but you can kind of package that in like, it's bad. And that's really cool of me for doing it. And if that's <laughs> like, bad, then what's good. And how do I get to good? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah couldn't agree more so yeah. what happened did you did you do the solo did so what so i lip-synced and did oh. it and um and my mom made fun of me in the loving way that she <laughs> yeah. did which was so perfect yeah that sounds you know, good just basically like what are you doing yeah you like can i didn't sing. sign you up for this and pay for this so that you could not do yeah. this you can sing paul i know you can yeah and what was interesting is i uh, we'll we'll get into that but i didn't start singing professionally or with confidence until my mid to late twenties. Wow. But up to my mom had obviously heard something yeah, and was like, yeah. you should do this. But so what happened was, is over time, as I realized that each of these other kids was doing their own thing and like they were in this and they were, they were singing and they didn't care what other right. people thought or what they, right. you know, what it looked like. I eventually joined in and was like, yeah, you know, I'll sing and, and do whatever. And so I had a really fun experience kind of getting into that world and opening up, you know, that part of me that was like, huh, you know, this organized arts thing is yeah. actually has benefit and like is enjoyable. What, what, what were the benefits? So the benefits were, first of all, <laughs> I found it was a great place to meet girls. Yeah, sure. I mean, that was a benefit <laughs> for me because I was like, hey, there are like-minded girls here that, you know, like to perform and I like to perform and this is fun. I mean, that's just a teeny silly little thing, yeah. but it was definitely well, something that something when, when you're, you're 14, a teenager. 15, yeah, 16, totally. you know, you're interested in. Um, but eventually what that led to was, uh, high school arts, high school okay. drama. Great. Um, I was a sports kid. I was doing basketball and football. And, uh, to this day, I still don't know what happened. Sure. Um, I was on my way to the first meeting for the football team. And uh, I was walking down the main corridor of Cottonwood High School, and there was a giant banner overhead that said "Auditions for Peter Pan the Musical." Yeah, you just took a hard left. And I don't, I, I honestly have no idea what happened. I found, I just found myself in the audition room, and wow. 
and and I auditioned and got cast as Captain Hook. Cool. And then it's like a whole cycle back. And everything turned. To I, your favorite childhood movie. I still play sports here and there, but I'm I'm a performer. Wow. Cool. Like that's that's what I do. Um will you talk about I mean if you have thoughts about it when you first started kind of building a relationship relationship with singing like what were what do you what do you think about singing? Of all what the aspects of the you? arts that I participate in, singing is by far the most soul-wrenching and torturous. Yeah, tell me more. And the I think the reason is is that you can't hide. Oh yeah. In singing. Totally. If you're an actor, you can find ways to to hide behind a character or hide behind something else. Or in, you know, even in dancing, you know, that's another medium that's, that's very bare and open, Yeah. but especially with singing, I mean, you can't hide. Yeah. And so I think that's where anytime I would make a mistake or anytime I didn't sound good, according to myself, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm obviously bad at this. I don't, I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, singing is such a, yeah, please fix the boom. There's plenty of cable too. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's what I need, just cable. Uh, yeah, singing is like, it's a triumph. Like, And I think I feel similarly about dancing. Like singing and dancing are things that our species is like supposed to do. And uh, yeah, finding our finding our internal voice externalized in that way is max vulnerable and it's it's such a triumph like i'm so proud of anyone who does it i don't know if you feel this way but i think as a voice professional people will say to me frequently like well i don't want to sing in front of you and i'm like no no i'm the person you should definitely sing in front of because like i respect this so much <laughs> like, yeah i i am honored to hear your bad singing <laughs> like i am yeah. like it's a privilege for me to hear your soul come what may yeah Anyone who wants to feel vulnerable, just sing in front of people. Yeah. It's a great way to start. Yeah. If you, if you ever want to become better at public speaking, to become better at performance, whatever it is, go sing in front of people. Totally. Or even just like, I, I think about this a lot, like, and I actually, I'm sure you have thoughts about this, but having control, like conscious control over your literal voice, um, in speech and in singing, but I think I mostly mean in speech is, is such a superpower, you know, to be able to not let your voice or, or to notice when your voice is, uh, trying to like match other people to notice when your voice is trying to be in a hierarchy, like in either way to notice when your voice is being affected by like an emotion that you're not sure what to do with, um, and having kind of some, um, like, Control, but I, I mean like the most present kind of control. It's like, it's, it is a superpower. Do you know, do you oh, feel totally. that? Yeah. The awareness of, of, of what's going on around you at, at all times. That, that was, I think one of the things that when I started organized arts, uh, that was one of the first things that I think I recognized was different yeah. about me was my awareness of what was happening in the moment. Sure. Tell me more. Tell me everything. Yeah. The, one of the things that I find so fascinating about live performance on stage is sometimes there's a moment where you are in the zone where you are performing 
But in that performance, you are present to everything that's around you. Mm -hmm. I know how many people are in the audience. I know who's taking pictures. I know where I am. I know who's working lights. I'm aware and totally present of everything that's happening around me. But in the same moment, I'm totally in the moment performing and, and, Oh my gosh. It's amazing. I feel this too. Like this is something I know so well, um, you know, just to, yeah, be totally aware of the inner, like fear, excitement, and to also be like aware that the sounds you're creating are like meticulous and, you know, present and lovely. And then to be aware of like, yeah, all it's, it is so visceral. It's such like a rich, you know, it's a lot to keep track of, but it's like a, it's like a, a big, and I do feel like I, I'm talking about this with my students all the time. It is kind of a superpower. You can sort of hack your own moods, like not in, not in, I think in like a toxic way, but in just like a, you really can like summon the posture of joy and exuberance, uh, anytime. Yeah. Which is, oh, I totally just, agree. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. The it's, ability to to recognize how you're feeling and understand ways to affect that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not permanent. I wouldn't say it's like a bottling up or like a suppressing, but you know, you can you can give yourself a break from exhaustion or from depression, you know, is maybe not long lasting, but yeah, you know, I know I can be having my worst day and I can still sing, I can still actually feel joy like while I'm singing you know at a gig and that's like it's a it's a beautiful thing to understand about you know what it means to be human yeah I think so um how did the drama kids receive you how quickly was that your group if you know yeah what's it, it was such a strange experience for me because I'd, I'd heard I mean they're always portrayed a certain way in the media and whatnot and I because I was still a sports person um, feel like I had a rather interesting, uh, immersive experience in that I participated in drama in high school, but didn't necessarily feel like I was a drama kid. Sure. Um, and so I was, I was doing all the shows and I was doing all the classes, but at the same time I had a, I had another group outside of drama. And so I wasn't like I was always there because there was so much to do, but I never ever felt like yeah. I'm a drama kid. I'm, I'm here, like in the, I'm like part of this group. And my dearest friends to this day um, are some of my friends that I made, you know, in in drama. Yeah, um, I think when I was asking, like, how did they receive you? I'm assuming, like, because you were doing sports, that like they maybe are a tribe that you're like a bit of another in. But you felt totally, you felt a lot of belonging but just not like this was the only place you belong. Yeah. No, they, I, I never once felt rejected by, by the cool. drama group. Uh, I, they were so welcoming and it, it was interesting because I, you know, thinking back now, I mean, it's been quite a while, <laughs> but yeah. thinking back now, um, I do feel like I was a member of that tribe and that uh, I was totally involved, but that, but that I had, another 
avenue as well. You had a foot in a few other places. Yeah. Sports mostly. Yeah. Sport, yeah. Sports or just other groups of friends that I'd made through sports or other groups of friends that weren't in the drama group that, because, you know, usually what happens in high school is once you find your tribe, you stick with your tribe. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I didn't, I feel like they were my people, like they were my tribe, but I had other tribes. You had kind of floated around. And so. What that- about the teachers? Like, did you, did you, how did you start getting positive feedback, validation? Like what, what was, how did your, how did your like identity kind of change? Yeah. What was really interesting is that when I first got involved in drama, my only experience had been improv. Okay. Just making stuff up. Sure. That was Informal improv at home play. And when I got to, yeah, exactly. (laughs) When I got to high school and the teacher was like, Hey, you need to memorize this. I was like, why? And how? (laughs) Like, don't you just say stuff? Yeah. Um, and so I memorized, um, the first thing I did was a scene from Romeo and Juliet and I was the friar and my two close friends were Romeo and Juliet. And we went down to the Shakespeare festival. Okay. And, um, I ended up winning a scholarship to go to the Shakespeare festival and perform for doing the friar. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the first time that I was like, Oh, I wonder if there's something here. Those moments are so important. Yeah. I talked to a lot of adult creatives who will sort of apologize for their early successes and be like, I mean, I, I won this little poetry award and I know it's no big deal. And it's like, no, no, that's huge. Like you need that as a kid, like that little bit of permission. I mean, I think most of us as creatives eventually have to learn to give ourselves permission. Uh, but like to have an authority figure give you permission and also tell you like, not only can you do this, but like, I'm asking you to do it and like, you should do it. I mean, it's enormous. Like you can, you can ride on that for years. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have got a picture of me shaking Fred Adams hand down at the Shakespeare festival and I'm just like, and it's still like, yeah, um, it's still yeah. that moment of like, Oh, that was kind of a, a permission moment totally for me to, to go all in, in the arts. I love it. I love like permission, ownership, like these like agency and creativity, even what we were talking before, like the permission to just imagine stuff. It is so critical. (laughs) Like it's so much more critical than like talent. I think, um, I mean, you can have kind of natural talent and if you're not giving yourself permission, who, what will it be? Um, when you were playing hook, that's your first kind of role, right? I did, I did a little tiny thing for Annie, get your gun. That wasn't, I was, yeah, that, that didn't do anything, but hook was kind of the first moment of like, Oh, well, and I just based on how you seem now, like, I feel like, um, hook would be like a, um, like you have to, you have to go somewhere maybe like, what was it like? What's really interesting. And people talk to me about this because they're always curious my process, but I am not a go there performer. Okay. I love it. I am a let me have fun with this and portray this with with all the realism and truth that I can bring. Sure. But when I walk off stage, I'm Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. I'm backstage, I'm Paul and I'm chatting and I'm hey, how you doing? Yeah. Oh, hey, I got to go on for this scene. Yeah. And then I walk out there and I do it. Yeah. And then I walk off. Yeah, and, and I guess Hook is like he's a villain, but he's like a He's like a fun villain. Yeah. 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 I, he's I mean, not 
too scary. No, it was definitely me <laughs> mixing, you know, Dustin Hoffman with, you know, whatever I wanted to bring yeah. just to create this fun character. And, mm. and, uh, and so it was, it was interesting because yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not a, I'm going to go there. Yeah. Yeah. After. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You seem like just comfortable, which, yeah. yeah I mean, not that go there actors aren't, but no. I can, I, this makes sense to me. Yeah. Okay. So what happened? Like, how did, what happened, you know, as you were finishing high school? Like, I don't really know anything about your, I know kind of what you're doing now vaguely, but yeah. What happened? So what was interesting is, is once I, once I left high school, I, I didn't really have any ambition to be a performer. Okay. I, um, everyone had told me, there's no money in the arts. Yeah. Don't be a professional actor. Like you, it's so hard and you'll never make it. And, and I just listened to those people. Yeah, you didn't really think about it at all. Yeah. Okay. Didn't listen to those. You know, I just didn't think about it and, and just kind of went about my way, went to school and, and just had fun doing whatever. <clears throat> and then, uh, in 2007, um, I'm sorry. When did you graduate from high school? I graduated in 02. Okay. Okay. And so during those five years, I went to, I went to school and then I went on a, a mission for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then, um, I came home and was like, well, now what? Like I need to go to college and I need to get a degree and, you know, have a life. Yeah. Well, I was seeing this girl that I really liked and she had said, Hey, you know, Hale center theater out in Sandy is doing auditions for thoroughly modern Millie. Okay. And you should come audition with me. Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what this show is. <laughs> I don't have any interest, but I like you and you're yeah. auditioning. So yeah. let's go. So I went and auditioned and this is probably the craziest story that people want to hear from me. I'm ready. <laughs> so ready. So, I show up to the initial audition, not knowing anything about the show, yeah, not knowing anything at all, really, and read for a couple things. And they say, great, you know, we want you to come back. They, they told everyone you're going to come back on Friday um, and do a tap solo. Okay. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, I don't know how to tap. So I go home and I tell my mom, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to go back. They need a tap solo. And my mom's like, I'm sorry, you're not going to go back? And I was like, well, yeah, I don't know how to tap. And she's like. So what, are you going to get worse at tap by yeah. not going back? Like, what yeah. are you going to lose on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. Go mom. Oh, my mom. Your mom sounds really cool. She is a legend. Yeah. She's the best thing that ever happened. I love it. So she's like, well, figure it out. Go figure it out. Wow. So I called my friend who was a dancer and and I said, look, they want me to prepare a 16 a, a bar tap solo and I have no idea what I'm doing. And she's like, okay, come on over and we'll work on something. Cute. We put together the most ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, she's amazing, but I, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. So we show up to this audition. And of course I was the last one they called to do the, the to solo. Tap, yeah. All these other guys, tap shoes, amazing tap dancers, like wow. slaying their auditions. And I stand up there and, and honestly, this is a pivotal moment for me as a performer, as a person, yeah. as an artist. Cool. I stand up. And I'm standing in front of a panel. There's five people at this table watching me with a room full of actors and performers who have all done these incredible tap, tap numbers. And I'm the last person. I stand up and I say, hi, so I, am brought, I brought my invisible taps. I just had tennis shoes. I didn't yeah. have tap shoes. I said, I brought my invisible taps and I'm going to give you an amazing tap number. Yeah. And it was the worst, <laughs> worst thing ever. And I just yeah. said, whatever. 
Yeah. Here we go. I'm just and doing what this. What happened? I'm dying to know. So I do this little tap solo and I was like, great. Well, you know, that was it. They're not going to call me that. I'm, you know, I'm done. We're finished. So I went home and, uh, I get a call the next morning. Yeah. Turns and they out say, they loved your shuffle ball changes. Right. They say, <laughs> Hey, can you come back in and, 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 and see us again? Yeah. And I was like, sure. So I go back for another callback and there's me and like five other guys. And they say, We're, we want to call you all back for Trevor Graydon, who's who's one of the lead guys. That's like the boss, right? Yeah, he's like the boss. And they're like, we want to call you in for Trevor Graydon. I was like, sure, yeah. So I do this whole audition. Again, a whole other audition with reading and singing. And I'm not a singer and I can't sing. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm like, this is crazy town. And I go home and I was like, this is really weird. Well, I get another phone call Yeah. for the next day saying, can you please come back again? And can you wear a suit and slick back your hair? And oh my like, gosh. Sure. Why not? So I show up and it's just me Wow. and they're like, so we were so impressed with how you just jumped up and did your tap thing and had no reservations and just wanted to try. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And I was like, oh, okay. And they said, we, we look at you now in a suit and hair and we just realized we're sorry. We can't offer you the role of Trevor Graydon. Wow. And I was like, that's totally fine. Like, thank you anyway. Thank you for that feedback. And they said, we want to cast you as Jimmy. Wow. And I'm like, you know, I can't sing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and the, the pianist who is a incredibly dear friend of mine Ann Pusey, she is unbelievable. She goes, come over here to the piano. Come here. So I walk over to the piano. She hits a note and she goes, can you hit this note? And I was like, well, let me try. And I, and I kind of hit it and she's like, that's good enough. We'll make it work. Wow. And wow. they cast me. That's crazy. Especially like, my understanding is that like Hale has kind of a reputation of like never casting uh, like people that they don't know in, in, in leads and maybe in anything. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it, that's, it, it was, that's crazy. It was the craziest experience. Wow. And it was just like this kind of authenticity and I mean, that's, yeah, sure literally they, they your said presence and your voice. Well, right. yeah, I mean, uh, they must have because they cast me, but the reality is, is they were saying they were really impressed by, the fact that I just said, I don't know how to tap, but I'm just going to go for it. And I'm just going to try. Yeah. Well, that is very Jimmy. Exactly. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so I went and even up through the, even up through the dress rehearsal, even up to just before we opened, I still had not hit the note on, I've got it bad. Yeah. You're got one big it bad. Yeah. I still hadn't hit the note. And Ann Pusey, the legend again, pulls me aside and she goes, okay, so you open tomorrow. Mm. Now you've got two choices. You can either hit the note or you can hit the note. Right. So make yeah. a choice yeah. <laughs> and, and do it. Wow. And I said, okay. And the next night I hit the note and I hit it every night after. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think so many people would be shocked to know that how frequently it is that simple. Because yeah. it really is that simple so often. It's just this permission thing. Yeah. Like you got to go for it. You you know, it's it's so cliche, but this idea of like you lose every chance you don't take, you know, or something or like you fail everything you don't try. Like you, you lose you lose ultimately nothing from giving it your all all the time. I mean, maybe you lose like a little pride every now and then maybe. Yeah. But pride's overrated. Yes. And the more that you practice, like giving it your all every time kind of come what may, the easier it is. And the more you trust it. I, Absolutely. I, tell, I tell my students like with these, you know, the note situations, like I want you to go for it every time. And I don't want you to go for it. Like you're, 
holding back and kind of bracing yourself and like dipping a toe in the water, like you go for it. Like the hills are alive. Like you go for it every time. And, you know, maybe at the beginning you are, are going to get it zero out of 10 times. And then you're going to start getting it one out of 10 times. And then pretty soon you've gotten it 10 out of 10 times for so long that, you know, when there's one time that it doesn't work, you're like, oh, weird. Yeah. And it doesn't even like, it doesn't even phase you. You're just like, oh, it's weird. My voice never does that. Yeah. How strange. I mean, it's just like love. The more love you give and the more love you practice, your your ability to love increases yeah. and expands. Yeah. Yeah. And it's totally. the same with any, it's the same with any effort. Right. That's really wise. So what happened next? So I did Thoroughly Modern Millie and played Jimmy and did a bunch. I think it was 12 or 13 shows at the Hale um, while I was going to school and just and basically paying for everything as an actor. Cool. And at the time, not realizing like people told you you'd never make a living as an actor. And so yet stupid. here you are yeah. <laughs> providing for yourself as an actor. Yeah. None of that clicked with me. I just was like, no, this is fun. This yeah. is just kind of a side gig. And so I, I did a bunch of shows at Hale center and Sandy and, uh, and just kind of did my thing until finally, um, met my wife in, uh, Nauvoo, Illinois. There was a, a big production that they had put out there for the summers, the Nauvoo pageant, where okay. it's basically a history of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and how they kind of formed out there. And I had been asked by a friend of mine who I'd worked with like, Hey, you should come audition for this thing. It's a summer performing gig. It's really fun. And I went out there and had a blast. Well, that's where I met my wife. She was performing out there. And, um, so we, once we got married, there was this feeling of, I still wasn't looking to go into performing full time. Yeah. And she and I laugh about this all the time. The night after our wedding, she told me, I'm so glad you're not a performer. Oh, no. I know. (laughs) And the night after was the night that I said, yeah, I think I need to be a performer. Okay. Real talk here. So this is something that I like, I think about so much. I'm, I'm formerly LDS. Um, and you know, so much of the, so many of the people that I serve, like in this community and people who I teach and work with, um, are, are, are LDS still, or, or are very conservative and kind of thinking about, um, you know, marriage and providing for a family. And they're thinking about maybe gender roles in kind of a specific way. And I respect all of that. One thing that I think about as a person who is a creative and, um, who entered, who entered my creative profession with a lot of these kinds of prescribed ideas. I would love to hear you talk about how you can apply creativity to these um, structures. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear your thoughts and kind of advice for especially men, I think who are, who are struggling with this. Like, am I allowed to be an artist? Am I allowed to be a creative? Yeah. And, and also do, you know, do my duty. Absolutely. The thing that I have found is not only in the arts, but in a person's spiritual and religious belief is that everything is deeply personal. Yeah. And my relationship that I have to God and to Jesus Christ is one where I am not necessarily bound by structure sure. in the sense that I'm always going to converse with my wife 
and I'm going to pray and ask if what, if I think I should do something and if I feel good about it, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to be different for every person. Right. And I think that when I was growing up, there was a sense of, oh, now remember, you know, you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this. Well, the reality is, is I've had many spiritual experiences doing things that some people are like, well, why, why are you doing that? Yeah. I feel the same. Yeah. And so for me, it's not, I've always learned that my relationship with God is much more important than I, what other people are thinking is my relationship or what is more important than what people are thinking is important to God. Yeah. So how did you handle this conversation with your brand new wife? Yeah. So she's a performer, thankfully. Okay. Okay. So that made things a lot easier, (laughs) but the, and she's the most incredible person. Like her response told me everything I needed to know about our current, you know, 10 years of marriage was she said, well, if you feel that that's right, then let's talk about it and let's discuss it and let's find a way to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did. And it was, it was hard Yeah. because there was no stability in the first five years of our marriage. Yeah. You know, I was trying to take these sales jobs to, to make ends meet because I needed to pay the bills and I needed to be the provider and I needed to fill this, you know, uh, this, uh, societal role of being the dad and, and the whole time hating every second of these jobs. Yeah. Then you can't be a good dad and husband anyway. No, I was yeah. miserable and, yeah. and trying to find ways to perform at night or yeah. to, to write or do something that I could get this creative, you know, yeah. this outlet. Well, because she and I had performed in Nauvoo together, um, I had just taken this amazing sales job that I was like, finally, this is one I like, yeah. and this is one that can provide for a family and there's benefits and all that. Well, we were invited to go back to Nauvoo again for another summer. And both of us were like, well, no, like I'm not going to go. Like I've got this great job now and we're all settled and we had a town home in Lehigh and we were feeling great. And both of, <clears throat> both of us just felt overwhelmingly we needed to go. Yeah. And so I told my employer and they were like, it's totally fine. We'll just put you on a leave of absence for a month and then you just come back. I said, awesome. Let's yeah. do it. Okay. So we, we pack up everything and we go out for, you know, eight weeks. And the second week I was there, they emailed me and said, don't come back. We've let you go. Oh no. Yeah. So I lost my job while I'm out there performing, have no idea what's next. I had spent the past two years, um, auditioning for grad school thinking, well, Hey, if I'm a professor, if I'm teaching in the arts, I have some stability. stability. There's some, you know, so I go out, and I'm thinking, you know, the past two years that I auditioned for these huge cattle calls, nothing, yeah. no callbacks, not a thing. Yeah. And so I, I have no idea what to do. Well, this summer that we went out um, was the first year that they had done a production of what they call the British pageant, where they tell the story of what happened to all these people in England who were converted to the church of Jesus Christ and came over to Nauvoo okay. yeah. to help build Nauvoo, Illinois. And so it was the first year they did this, this thing. And so they had British people coming over from England to come participate. So I meet all these awesome British people and we're out there doing this thing. And one of the people was a professional opera singer who had got his degree over at RADA at the Royal Academy over there. And he had said, you know, Hey, so have you thought about reaching out to some other schools? And I said, well, you don't understand in America, they have these big cattle calls in January and February. And if you're not part of that, you know, they've already got their cohort set by March. Like we're in, we're in July here. They don't need anyone. He said, well, why wouldn't you try? Right. Yeah. Why like, wouldn't you try? All right, whatever. So I craft an email. This is like 1230 AM when I'm sending out this email and my wife, Melanie's like, Paul, like 
come to bed. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, I know this is ridiculous. So I sent out 55 emails to different schools all across the country and then two schools in England. And the next morning I had an email from the Royal Academy out in England who said, Hey, we just had three international students drop unexpectedly and we're looking for someone to fill their spot. Would you like to audition for us today? Oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah. Yes, I would. I do. (laughs) So I audition. And while I'm auditioning, my camera cuts out to where I can't see them anymore. They can still see me, but I can't see them. And I'm auditioning and I finish my audition and it's silent. And I'm like, are you still there? And they're like, yep, just hold, please. And so I'm sitting there for 20, 30 seconds, which feels like seven minutes, seven hours. Totally. And all of a sudden the director comes on. He's like, hey, so while you were auditioning, the head of the school walked by. Wow. Saw your audition. Loved it. We want to offer you a position. Cool. And so just like that, from losing my job. Yeah. All of a sudden now my wife and family and I were moving to England. Did you have kids yet? We had one kid and she was eight months pregnant. Oh my gosh. You're like, hey, Mel, time to move. We're to moving the to UK. England. Yeah. And so it's just like that. We moved to the UK wow. and I went to the Royal Academy over there. Yeah. Royal I just, Conservatory. I love this story. And I think it's like, I like hearing stories of people who are staying in, you know, staying in a tradition, but finding room. Like it's, I think it's really important, um, you know, and, and, and people who, who feel, um, like they want to stay in their traditions. They don't want to hear from people like me as, as sometimes. Um, so I, I really like, I really appreciate these stories of like finding creativity, finding room. You know, when we think about these words, like, you know, provide for a family, like you can provide with money, you can provide with joy. Like there are just, are so many ways. And I, and I think the opposite too, like, um, you know, I think I started wrestling with a lot of these things when I got married. I've also been married about 10 years. And, uh, and you know, when Andrew and I first got married, I, I fully planned to like enter our marriage and be like the wife that I feel like I had been taught I should be. And I really quickly realized like, I am better at a lot of these like executive things than he is. And he is such a better nurturer than I am. And it really threw me for a loop. Like Mm. I really struggled to try to like reconcile these things. And I wish that I had had someone in my life, like some mentor just be like, fine. Yeah. These things just need to get done. Like it doesn't matter how they get done, but like you need to have a roof over your head. It can be any shape of roof, you know, as long as you're happy, it can be, it can be anywhere. It can look like anything and you can divide up these responsibilities in your family as like, as they fit your family. And I don't know. I just think there's stories that are important for a lot of people in our community to hear. Yeah. So I appreciate that. No, absolutely. The, the majority of society craves structure. And so they try to limit and bound that structure by here's, here's how we do structure. Yeah. When in reality, structure is individual and, you know, dependent on your circumstances, right. whatever they may be. And it can be so much easier, you know, or rather you can pick the difficult things that feel manageable, you know, given the skill sets that you and your, and your partner have. Um, yeah, that's great. So how was it being in England? Oh my goodness. It was the best two years of our lives. It, movie, and I highly recommend this for anyone, is to live outside of your country yeah. for a, a period of time. Yeah. And living in the UK taught us some incredible lessons, and we struggled through some of the hardest times and built the foundation of our marriage, right. which is so important. It is, yeah. And so we spent two years over there, um, and I trained with some of the 
best vocal coaches in the world. Cicely Berry, Alison Bomber, Barbara Hausman. I mean, the coaches for the Royal Shakespeare Company. I mean, I had the most incredible training over there at the time thinking I was going to be all on camera and stage. Like I didn't even have an inkling of voiceover at this point. I was just all like, yeah, I'm going to be an onstage actor and on-camera actor. It's going to be amazing. And did the whole two years over there and then decided we were going to move to LA. Okay. We had the choice between a workshop in LA or New York. And the thought of pounding the pavement in New York, trying to be an onstage actor that wasn't equity with two kids yeah. was about the worst thought I could think of. fills me with dread. Like New York is a scary, scary place. Yeah, see, and I love <laughs> okay. New York. Okay. I just, the thought of trying to like provide yeah. financially in that situation That's what I mean. I was mean, it's like, just Ooh. like, and New York is so fast and it's like my heart rate just like rises just like, yeah. I literally have like, I have like a recurring nightmare where like I'm in New York and I'm, I, I have somewhere I'm supposed to stay. Like I'm staying with a friend and I've like lost their address and I just like, and <laughs> in New York, like, <laughs> I don't know where to go. It's like, it's so, it's so like yeah. a busy. Yeah. I mean, it, there was, there was so much to it that, that we just realized, you know what, LA, if nothing else has on-camera opportunities that pay a lot better than on stage. And there are those opportunities plus the weather. Yeah. Like there's opportunities. And there's just like space, which I think some people would take as like a, but if you, maybe if you grew up in Utah, certainly LA is going to feel more like home. Yeah. It's going to feel closer than, than, than New York. Or even just some more similar, like just, um, so really quick, you're, you're, this was a master's degree in theater. An MFA in acting the British tradition. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So you got to LA. What happened? Got to LA and How spent, long ago was this? Sorry. This was, so I graduated in 2016. Okay. From okay. the Royal Conservatory. Not that long ago. No. Okay. And then we moved straight to LA and spent 18 months of the most miserable auditioning experiences of my life. Yeah, I've heard that LA is like will cut your soul out. <laughs> yeah. It, my ex and this is this is one thing I have to remind myself is that obviously everyone's experience is different, right. right? Everyone has a totally different experience. My experience with LA was everyone looked like me. Sure, sure. And the only thing that differentiated us was training, but training doesn't always matter. In fact, training sometimes rarely matters in yeah. the LA scene. In, in the arts in general, yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Especially when you're out there in LA looking for someone in a commercial or looking for someone to partner with this other person, how do you look together was the key indicator. And I spent 18 months auditioning, 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 and just having no success and feeling totally destroyed and feeling like, why did I do this? And this was such a bad decision and had to revert back to sales jobs okay. to start paying the bills. Can I ask really quick, at the time that you like left the Royal Academy, what state was your like creativity and like artist identity in at that point? Like, how did you feel as an artist? I was going to take over the world. Yeah, I felt just like totally confident. Do you want to share anything about like any, any particular like type of growth that you had during that time? Absolutely. I'll, the majority of the work we did in the UK was voice work. Okay. Okay. Um, which at the time I didn't realize was going to help me for my voiceover, but, but as, as I was having successes and failures in the UK and learning that trying is always better than not trying. 
I was recognizing that my failures were fleeting in how they made me feel. Okay. But were exponential in my growth. Wow, that's a really beautiful little nugget. Like, that's some wisdom right there. Yeah. Yeah. The way I felt after a failure was upsetting. And I was just like, of course. how did that happen? There was one singing thing I remember where um, I was singing Pity the Child from uh, Chess, right. which is this ridiculously high rock screaming song. I have heard it. <laughs> and, and I was, I was nailing it in my, when I was trying and, you know, working with the vocal coach and on, and on assessment day, I totally bombed the whole thing. Just absolutely yeah. bombed it, just destroyed it and felt like an idiot. And it was, and, and this was one of the, those important moments is I sat down and was furious and everyone could tell, everyone knew I was upset. Yeah. And after the assessment, when everyone's walking out, the vocal coach came over to me and was like, why are you mad? Yeah. And I was like, well, because I just bombed my assessment. And they said, you do realize that all of the training and the practice and everything leading up to the assessment counts too, right? Right. And I was right. like, well, yeah, but like I didn't perform when it mattered. And they were like, since when does this matter? Yeah. Like yeah. this one assessment is part of an entire thing and you have done all of the work leading up to this moment. So what are you, what are you mad about? Yeah. And I remember all the other students being like, Paul, we heard you're practicing and we heard you're rehearsing and like, you nailed it. Like yeah. you don't have to prove anything to us. Right. And that was a big turning point for me to realize I didn't need to get so upset about that kind of thing because right. the reality is, is process is product. It's so true. It's so true. I love that so much. Yeah. And, and the reality is like, our instruments are made of tissue. <laughs> like we are subject to every whim of nature. Yeah. We are subject to dehydration. We're subject to a bad night of sleep. And there is so much creativity to be had within that. Like, yes, you know, and I'm, yeah, you, one of the things that I think we learn as voice professionals, and I'm sure dancers feel this way, probably athletes too. You, you learn to kind of be creative within what you have today. Yes. And sometimes when you're <clears throat> rehearsing, when you're rehearsing in one body and the performance is happening in a different body for whatever reason, you can try to perform in the rehearsal body and it's the wrong call. Yeah. But that's a lesson you have to learn. It's a lesson you must learn. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that like, this is just, this is a moment that like, you know, maybe doesn't, maybe prevent is the wrong word because things will happen, but it teaches you something about what will happen next time you wake up on a performance day in a different body than you rehearsed in yeah. or a different mind or a different, you know, heart space. The times going into a song where I knew I, I wasn't there that day. Didn't have it. Yeah. And just saying, doesn't matter whether you have, you've got a performance, right? Like you've right. got to go perform. So right. you figure out whatever you need to do in those circumstances to make it work because you can't just not do it. Right. It's one thing that I really like my, so my degrees are in jazz performance and it's one thing that I really like about the ethos of jazz that things are kind of flexible. Like you can make a choice this day that's different from a choice you've made every other day and, you know, trusting, trusting yourself there are limits to this. Like, you know, what I wouldn't suggest to students is that they never go for it in practice and then go for it in yeah, performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, that's a no go. Yeah. But if you go for it in practice and what you're really doing is you're learning that you're learning to trust, like you're learning to trust what you feel. You're learning to trust like 
how does my, how do, how do my lungs feel right now? Like what is, you know, where is, what's going on in my jaw? And then you can make informed decisions in the present, you know, based on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a good, like, just life lesson. It's just good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, I just wanted to hear, like, you know, some of these beautiful things before, like, you go to L.A. and, like, it's tragedy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so what, uh, what how, how did you get out of the tra- tragedy? So what's interesting is that I had, had just assumed that this was going to be a long haul process. Yeah. Um, I had questioned whether or not I wanted to continue. And I was okay with... I gave it a shot. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it. And I'm okay to move on. I would have much rather done that than be 65 going, oh, if only I would have just tried LA. Right. I am so, and I recommend this to everyone. Yeah. Just go for it. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, great. You learned. Right. But that's so much better than living a life going, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, like yeah. always take the chance. So yeah. at about 18 months, I had a friend who my wife knew who was a voice actor who came over to our house one night for dinner and was like, Hey Paul, have you ever thought about voice acting? And I was like, um, kind of no, like not really. And so she said, well, why don't you come with me to this event next weekend and have a listen, you know, kind of feel it out. So I went with her and was just instantly smitten with this community of voice actors. The idea that, your voice is the product. Your voice is the character. Your voice is the brand. Your voice is the feeling. Like it was so interesting to me and something that I'd kind of always known right. I wanted to do, but hadn't necessarily locked in how to do it. Right, right. And so that was, that was kind of the Kickstarter for, well, actually, you know, maybe, maybe I can still find a creative avenue yeah. that will take care of our family. Cool. I love it. And at this point, how old are your kids? So at this point we had a, we had, we had two kids with one on the way. Wow. So we, he was basically a newborn when we were kind of still figuring all this out. Um, but they were six, actually no, four, two and newborn. Cool. I was going to ask like, you know, I'm sure at some point your kids, your kids become like a cheerleader for you or, or at least are, um, kind of involved as a, as a, as an influence, you know, as their own little people and not just kind of these children. And I'm, I'm curious about that, but maybe that's four is a little young. Yeah. So she was still a little young and, and didn't, didn't quite understand what I was doing, but in terms of, you know, your children, I mean, that was the point where I decided, look, if I'm going to do this and if I'm really going to pursue this, it needs to happen. It needs to happen soon. Yeah. And I was spending, you know, 10, 30, 11 PM until three, 4 AM, three times a week, trying to figure out this voice industry, right. knowing uh, I needed to give my kids what they needed. Like yeah. I wanted to give them financial stability. I wanted yeah. to give them everything they wanted. And so that, and that way they were a motivation to me knowing right. that, I want my kids to be taken care of. And right. so if I'm going to find out this voiceover thing, you know, I'm working a full-time job during the day and then I take care of my family, you know, do things with my wife until she goes to bed at 11 and then hustling. That's all you've got. I've got right. 11 PM till three, 4 AM. Like that's, wow. that's what you do. And was Melanie still performing during any of this A time? little bit. She was directing and choreographing a lot. Sweet. So she was doing some direction. She was choreographing for high schools and other performances. And, and so we were just kind of tag teaming, 
in the evening, you know, just if she wasn't gone, I was gone doing a gig or whatever else. And, um, eventually she was hired as the director for savior of the world, which is a production that the church does downtown at the conference center theater. She was hired as the director. And at that moment, uh, the next month, our lease was up. Okay. For our okay. 700 square foot apartment okay. in LA okay. with three kids. Oh my gosh. And Melanie's like, you know, your on camera stage stuff has not been great here. And voiceover is kind of portable. This is obviously before the pandemic. Voiceover yeah. is kind of portable. Maybe we should look at moving back and then you can just come here when you need to. Yeah. And we thought about it and discussed it and proed and conned it and prayed about it and felt like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. This is going to work. So we moved back here to Utah. Cool. And um, I, I mean, I would love to just like ask Melanie, but maybe you can just say for her right now, um, was her kind of working and you guys kind of sharing that? Like, was that was that difficult for you guys to kind of figure out? Yeah. The, the nice thing was, is that she was really only gone in the evenings. Okay. And so for me, I was still working full-time during the day from home. It was a remote position that I'd had, which thank heaven, because, you know, I could work from home. And so I would work from home. And then at five o'clock, she'd say, goodbye. I love you. Here's dinner. I'm out. And she'd be gone all night. And we did that for four months. Yeah. And yeah, it was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, though. I mean, yeah, it's just always like, you know, you, you, you can't know what you don't know, but I just think about my parents and my parents followed these gender norms to like such a T and our home was so toxic. And I don't think it was toxic because of that. I think it was toxic for many reasons, but, um, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I can't help but feel that like watching your parents struggle together on something that they love and something that, you know, um, you know, exemplifies your values, like so fully, like the struggle that like that struggle is worth it. Yeah. Like that is a struggle that is a benefit. I mean, I'm sure there are limits and I'm sure that there, you know, there are, there are ways in which a situation like that could leave children feeling like, um, less important or something, but I don't know. I just, I, I, I feel like watching parents, nurture themselves, watching parents like put their values into action in these ways. It just, I don't know. It seems good. It seems oh, better. <laughs> yeah. My, my relationship with my wife is, is so healthy because it's not about this is my job and this is your job. Right. It's about, all right, so we have kids and yeah. we're a partnership. Right. So what needs to get done? Who are you? Who am I? Who are our kids? What do we need? Yeah. And those are such individual things too. I mean, even just who are my kids? Like, I mean, I think I am the type of child that could have, would have been fine having parents be very, very busy because I'm super independent, you know, and maybe there are children who really need more, you know? So I don't know, but that I love, I love the idea of thinking about creativity in this way too. Like this is my biggest soapbox of all my soapboxes. I care about creativity and I care about talking to creatives and hearing how they take this creativity and bring it out in their lives. Cause I think we need more of it. <laughs> like I think we need, I think we need for people who are non-creatives to, to be creative yeah. in their lives. Absolutely. We need it so much. We need creativity to manage conflicts in our marriages. We need creativity to manage joy. Yeah. You know, we need creativity 
to deal with the problems in our society and like i don't know it's it's homegrown and it's not even homegrown it's like in it's in it's in your brain it's yes. in your heart everyone's creative yeah I feel this is a great story. Like this yeah. is a really beautiful story. So you moved back to Utah mm-hmm. and some, so when was that? So this was in 2017, 18. I can't remember. Okay. So like four years ago, five years ago, yeah. you began your voiceover career yeah. and now you're killing it. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. It, it, honestly, I think a lot of it was just the 20 plus years of stage and on camera acting that I was doing here and there developing me as an actor first, because the reality is in voiceover, you can have a nice sounding voice, but if you don't know how to analyze a script and how to bring a character and how to bring truth and, and portray that in your voice, you're not going to get very far. Right. And so for me, I was very fortunate that I met a few people along the way who, because of the experiences I had learned about taking risks, I took risks right. and I, t- I shot my shot. You know, I, yeah. I went for it and I said, look, I, I want to do this and I want your help and I want to learn how to do this. And, you know, people may not know who Pat Fraley is, but if you don't know who Pat Fraley is, I want you to go IMDB him. He's basically the voice of my childhood. Yeah, yeah. Voiced everything from Tailspin to Chippendales, Rescue Rangers to, I mean, all the cartoons me growing up as a kid. Someone had somehow given me his email and I just shot him an email and said, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about voiceover and wondering if, you know, you'd be able to help me. And he said, yeah, if you're in LA, come to my house. I was in LA. He met up, met up with him, went to his house. The nicest guy ever took me up to his home studio. We did some recording. He's like, yep, you absolutely should be doing this. I mean, this, and this is just on a whim. Like I don't even, people don't know who Pat Fraley, Pat Fraley is a legend. I mean, this guy just let me into his house to record. Well, and the thing that I, I'd want to tell listeners, like, about this is, you know, you may have sent 20 other emails that no one responded to. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the thing, you know, if you, when you Hundreds get these stories, yes. no one's responded to. Right. When you, and this is, I mean, even just like with this podcast, which is like the stakes are very low here. I mean, I don't make any money from this. Like this is, this is a passion project and it, and it, it's soul nurturing to me. And I hope it is to my guests and to my listeners. But, uh, you know, people will be like, well, how do you find your guests? And I'm like, well, I just, email people and then they'll say like well don't you know what if they don't respond and i'm like they don't don't. (laughs) most don't you know but it's like that's i mean gosh yeah it's just you just gotta just gotta try stuff you have to take the risk because the reality my my philosophy for my students is no longer it's there is no failure yeah there is opportunity yeah. Anytime you take a chance and it doesn't work out, you didn't fail. You learned something. Right. You recognize there's a different opportunity elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's just how you have to approach life if you want to succeed. Yeah, totally. Couldn't agree more. Okay, I think I want to I want to hear like two things. I'd love you to tell any highlights, like anything that you're just really proud of, anything that's just fun, like in the you know in these five years, like just anything you want to kind of share of highlights. This whole five years has been incredible. Like I can't complain about anything. I'm a full-time voice actor who makes a living creating. Like I can't complain about anything. And so for me, the past five years have been amazing. I had the opportunity to work with, I just posted this. I was on a VO panel once where, um, someone asked me, you know, who's the most famous person you worked with. And I told him this story about, uh, when I was doing an episode of Doc McStuffins 
And uh, I went into the booth and, and the director, Maria Estrada, who's done basically all the biggest Disney, you know, animation stuff you can know, was like, hey, you know, Paul, I want to introduce you to your daughter in this scene. Uh, this is Kari. And I was like, hey, Kari, I'm Paul. And she's like, hey. And we had a little chat and she was so friendly and kind and walked away. And I didn't realize at the time it was Kari Walgren. Okay. I if you don't know, who, know who Kari Walgren is, again, if you IMDb, you yeah. will see that she is She's basically everything. the voice of everything you've ever heard. Yeah. Wow. And I, it was one of those foot in mouth moments where I was like, I just had no idea who she was. Yeah. But looking back now, I'm realizing highlights. I did an episode of Doc McStefans with Kari Walgren. Yeah. Wow. And it was unbelievable. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the little secret of voiceover. Like I've been watching um, Cowboy Bebop with my husband, the animated one. I've been trying to get him to watch it since we met, which was we've, we've been to, <laughs> we've been together 12 years. And I finally and as I'm watching as I'm watching, I'm like, you know, this voice. And I'm like <laughs> looking up and being like, oh, yeah, I've definitely heard this other thing. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing about voiceover. Oh, like you can walk around the streets. Nobody knows who you are. Yeah. Nobody yeah, has awesome. any idea what you've done. I love it. It's kind of like a perfect, like so many of us as creatives and as performers are such introverts. And I feel like, I feel like voiceover is like, it's like a little secret. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm a huge introvert. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, voiceover is great. Yeah. I wake up in the morning and I walk into my padded closet and record into a microphone yeah. with clients all over the world. And I, I just it. stay at home and I don't have to go anywhere. I love it. Okay. And then let's, I want to also hear one of my goals for 2022 is to do a better job asking my guests to share, like, what are the things that are hard about it? And I hear you saying like, you, you can't complain. That doesn't mean there aren't like, yeah. So what's, what's, what's tricky. One of the hardest things about being a voice actor is that, well, and being a creative yeah, is that you have no control over a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. You have control over some things, and those are the things that you have to take control of and that you have to put all your effort into. But the things that you can't control are the things that you have to let go. Yeah. And letting go in an industry that is purely focused on how you sound is a hard thing to do. Yeah. And so for me, my biggest, I mean, I audition anywhere from 150 to 170 times a month. Wow. I'm sending out auditions left and right, left and right. And, and having to just let go, just send it. Once I, once I click send, you got to forget it and walk away. And so as an actor, who's making a living off that, there are months where maybe I'm not making as much money yeah. as I need to. Some scarcity. Yeah. And having to realize that I don't have stability. <laughs> I know. I get it. Yeah. 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 yeah I get it. It is, it's a, it's a gift and a curse. It's like being a freelancer, being a creative, you just have to decide, like, do, do the beautiful things about this outweigh like this kind of very real terror. <laughs> it, it, oh, but absolutely. It, you know, and there's terror left yeah. and right. What about like, do you have any like internal struggles? Like, do you, do you ever feel like, like, do you struggle with like, you know, rejection, resilience, like, um, kind of any of these, like does your self-worth ever get wrapped up in it? It did. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think I've reached a point in my career where I have, I have achieved enough to recognize that my talents are wanted yeah. and that they are worth what I'm charging for them and that people want it. And so through that, I've been able to instruct myself and teach myself that 
what I'm doing is valuable and people need it. And so at this point, I'm not wrapped up in self-worth. I'm not wrapped up in doubt about my abilities and my talents, where I was quite a bit leading up to this point. But what I do have constantly is I'm in the booth and I'm recording and I just stop and go, man, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And it's just that moment of like, there's, you're never there. You've never made it. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. There's just no, you never do. There's yeah. always more to learn. There's always more to, to apply and to, you know, be better at. And so that's my inner struggles mm-hmm. is that oftentimes I'll get in the booth and be like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Hold on. I need to backtrack. I need to get back on track and figure this out. Oh, totally. I, I completely relate to that. Like for me, a lot of my kind of like money making work is like, I work in like a wedding band and, uh, yeah, this is maybe a little bit different than what you're saying, but like, sometimes I find myself in situations where I'm like, this is really shitty. This moment. <laughs> like, this is just like, how am I like, yeah. how am I in this situation? Like, it's just bizarre. Yeah. It's like a future I never could have imagined. And I know that people aren't picturing it right. Like, you know, when I tell people like, this is what I do, they're like, oh, that's fun. And I'm like, no, it isn't. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, there are like these little flickers of moments that are fun, but like, this is a grind. Yeah. And like, this is my day job. Like, th- you know, I do this so that I can do the stuff that's fun, which is, you know, I don't know. So it's a, maybe a different blend, but yeah. Well, but I, in I the same like- way, in the same vein though, for me, the, the hard work and the job part of what I do yeah. is the auditioning. Right, right. Like right. there's a lot of times I go in the booth and I'm like, man, I don't want to, I don't feel like auditioning right now. Yeah. Or, or I don't, I don't really know if I would want to do this spot or I don't know if I, you know, but, yeah. but then I realize, well, that's not your job is yeah. to do this because you need to make money and provide for your family. Yeah. Or when I'm in a booth with a national client, we're doing a national commercial and they're trying to tell me what they want for me to do this sentence and I do it one way and they're like, well, can you try this? And I try it that way. And they're like, well, maybe try it like this. And I do it nine different ways and I'm not yeah. giving them what they want. And I'm going, what am I even doing? What am I yeah. doing? Like, you zoom what? out and you're like, I'm in a closet and I'm doing a weird voice. And, yeah. yeah. And the client obviously is not getting <laughs> yeah. what they want and yeah. what is That's happening. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then do you get feeling like this is a difficult thing, but like, I feel like I can't even like complain to anybody about it because like, 100 yeah. no absolutely i can't and that's that's, that's what we talked about before yeah. i can't complain yeah. to anyone yeah. about my life yeah because i have it really great but but the other thing too is is and this is part of what i've learned is that there is a huge difference between ego and confidence right please elaborate and if you're going into the booth with the, with the sense of oh no i'm really great at what i do mm. you're gonna have problems mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if you go into the booth going I'm confident I have the ability to do this I'm capable and I'm more than happy to take direction and I'm more than happy to receive constructive criticism and I'm more than happy to receive whatever it takes to get right. to where I need to go. That's such good advice. It's so much easier to accomplish what you need when you recognize I don't know it all. Right. I'm not the best, right? but I have the confidence that I can get the job done in the best way with help from others. Totally. Yeah, I had a a girl come for a lesson last week, just a one-off, getting ready for a college audition, and she was really kind of stressed, and I was telling her, like, you know, some of what you're auditioning for here is singing, and and some of it is just 
are you flexible? Like, are you going to fall apart? Like, it's such a big part of our job and it's almost as much as the thing, you know, like, like you're so right. Like, cause ego, it's just so fragile. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it's, no, it has no resilience. It has no flexibility. Yeah. And that's, that really is like, and once a, you feel that your ego has been damaged, you shut down. Right. Which right. means you're no longer open to creative. So I'm saying it's fragile. It's yeah. just like you're, you're totally it. shut down. There's no more work from there. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Confidence that you're prepared, that you're capable, that you are flexible, you know, that if you've been like, this wouldn't be true for an audition, but if you've been selected for the thing, like you're supposed to do the thing. You were cast. Yeah. They booked you. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and that, that means something like you're here, you're doing the job. And even if there's like a, Hey, we haven't figured this out. Like that is a need to like, you know, hit you in your core. <laughs> like you are here, you got yeah. the thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever, I just have one kind of question that I'm just, I'm just curious, but you know, in this culture where, where we're in here and where again, we have kind of a lot of these, like roles that are, you know, ever present. Do you ever get any pushback from like other men? Um, and if so, like, how do you kind of handle that? No, actually, I, I think, I think what's interesting is, um, my circles are such that the people that I love and trust understand and respect what I do. Um, the one thing I wouldn't say pushback, but very often if it's people who I'm being introduced to for the first time or wherever else, when I say I'm a voice actor, the first response is usually like, oh, that's, huh. So like, what does that mean? Misunderstanding. Yeah. Just like, almost like, what do you mean you just talk for a living? Right, right, right. You know? And so sometimes, you know, I'll get the sense of they just don't understand, but I don't think there's, I don't think I've ever had anyone be like, oh, you're a voice actor. Good. That's great. That's great. I was going to say, I think, you know, I do, I I do come across a lot of young men, especially I used to teach at BYU and a lot of my students, I think really struggled. Like a lot of my male students really struggled with these kinds of things. Um, feeling like they weren't getting a lot of support. Like they weren't, um, like they knew they wanted to be creative, but people in the, they just didn't have support. And it was like, you're not doing this right. So yeah, I wondered if you had like, um, advice for that, but it sounds like you're just not dealing with that, which is great. Well now, yeah. I mean, I mean, growing up, I, I had that pressure of don't be an artist, you know, yeah. there's no money in it. But the reality is, is all of those people who were telling me that weren't artists right? and they weren't creatives. Right. Yes. And so you need to listen to your tribe. And for me, all of my friends who were in the creative arts were saying, how dare you not pursue your dream yeah. and, and your passion? And I'm, I've, I fall in line with them. To anyone out there who thinks, oh, I just don't know, like there's no money in it. You know what? For a while, there's not going to be any money in it. But yeah. you are going to be happier than you have ever been. You're going to feel fulfilled. You're going to mm-hmm. feel you have a direction. And eventually, you're going to find a way to monetize what it is you want and how you want to do it. I had no idea I was going to go into full-time voice acting. I thought from the time I was in high school and afterward, like, oh, if I'm going to perform, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be full-time. Well, I do some on-camera stuff here and there. I haven't done stage in six years. Yeah, yeah. I'm a full-time voice actor who loves every minute of my day. And I did not see that coming, but I did a lot of free work along the way. And I did a lot of tireless 
painstaking, stay up all night long work on things that maybe I didn't want to do. And you didn't know it was going to work. Had no yeah. idea it was going to work. Yeah. That's faith. Yeah, that it really is. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really religious anymore, but I think I certainly am like a spiritual person. And yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that people maybe are missing, especially, um, especially in these kinds of contexts where, where maybe we have like religious cultural things going on that like, this is a gift. Like, and when your peer, when your art peers are saying, how dare you not like, that's also like a, a divinity saying yeah. like, no, you're wait, I've given you this. Like, how dare you yeah. not? Uh, that feels like a pretty important thing to like, I don't know. And come what may with it, you know, cause sometimes Absolutely. people do like, you know, they, they try something and then pivot. But yeah, I think that presence and that kind of, that it is faith and, and putting those values into action. Like I said before, like that feels really important. Like it feels oh, important absolutely. for your kids to see. It's, it's important. Yeah. It, what's, what's really pivotal for me in terms of, of pursuing your passions and your dreams is I knew since I was a kid, I was never going to love a nine to five. Yeah. I knew yeah. I just wasn't going to. Right. And so for me, it was important to recognize that if I knew that about me, then I, I had to recognize what was my path. I right. had to figure out what was my, my, my way. Right. Because the reality is, is anytime someone says, this is how it's supposed to be, that's a red flag. Right. Because no one's path is the same. Right. Everyone's path is totally different. And regardless of whether you believe in, in God or in, in religion or whatever it is, even within religion, even within the parameters of believing in God, you have to recognize you need joy. Right. We are created to have joy. That's our purpose. Yeah. And so in order to have joy, if you're recognizing that what you're doing is not bringing joy. Right. And you can't do any good if you don't, if you, no, if you don't have miserable. joy. Yeah. I did that for five years. Yeah. I was miserable yeah. every day. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's so great. Is there anything else you want to say about art, about creativity? Mm. Just, we've said a lot. You've said a lot of great things. Oh, no, yeah. I, no, I'm... Okay. I ask everybody at the end two little questions to kind of, it's just my closers, so we okay. don't have to end with like, bleh, bleh, bleh. Um, on this day, what's your dream collaboration? My you dream build, collaboration. You can build a team. You can be like, I want to do work for this show, whatever you want. Dream collaboration is on camera with Allison Janney, Gary Oldman, and Javier Bardem. Oh my gosh, I love it. Allison Janney. Ugh. Legend. I love her so much. She's, She's incredible. Wonderful. On camera, whether it's a series, yeah, an, a, a television series. Javier Bardem and wow, that's really something. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Oldman, Allison Janney, Javier Bardem, and myself in a uh, TV series. Something cool. I love it. Okay, and then where can people find you or your work? Absolutely, yeah. So all of my demos and reels and contact is on uh, www.paulcartwrightvo.com. That's C-A-R-T-W-R-I-G-H-T. So paulcartwrightvo.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Paul T. Cartwright. You can find me on Twitter at Paul T. Cartwright. And also on Facebook, uh, Paul Cartwright VoiceOver. Awesome. Paul, thank you so much. This was such a joy. It was thank great you. to talk with you. It was awesome. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L-Music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.